I'm Emma Harris. I'm Zoe Ingram. I'm Louisa Bengtsson. And we're broadcasting to you from Berlin, Germany. Season two. What's new? New decade. New decade. Yeah, the Roaring Twenties. So this is the season two of the podcast. Uh, we actually were not really planning on doing, doing it. Uh, we started this podcast as uh, part of a training activity for the Orion Project and said basically let's do a year decided we want to continue we kind of got hooked on this it's um it's been really cool to interview all these super interesting people uh we i think we got some really cool episodes out there okay now that it's year's review we should probably also uh talk about our favorite episodes right we all had our highlights um so um well what was yours then you go first yeah well that's (laughs) That's not supposed to be. I'm asking you, and then I think about it. <laughs> I don't know. They were all really good. I, I mean, good as in uh, not our performance, but... Uh, yeah, our, all our guests were lovely. <laughs> yeah. We were on a learning curve. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite ones was actually one of the early ones. Um, maybe just because it such, gave such a, like... was one quote that basically stuck in my head and just gave such a tone for me, like, for the rest of the of the podcast. And was the interview with Ivan Oransky. And at some point he said, basically, well, it's basically, it's your profession and you're in charge of it. It's you who decides how your profession looks like. That's a definition of being a professional, right? Um, so basically, if you, do, if you do want open science being the principle that your profession is living by, you have to make it happen. Nobody will do it for you. There's nobody else there who's going to come and say, this is how you do it. You have to do it. And that was for me somehow, um, it was just one quote that really stuck to me. And I think somehow every interview we did later, somehow this was reflected in everything that people were saying, whatever topic, that actually we have to do it. Like whoever is involved in this is in it and has to do it. And nobody will come from outside and say, I will solve it for you. From tomorrow on, the world will we look different, right? Well, it's the same with everything, isn't it? We yeah, are... yeah, yeah. It's like it's such a Friday for Futures, uh, the climate strike. Message, yeah. <laughs> message, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me, I think this, I'm going to say two, I'm going to cheat and say two, because, uh, no, because one of them is okay. a favourite for the guest and one of them is a favourite for me as a podcaster. Okay. Um, so the the guest one was Beyond Brems, okay. because he, that man radicalised me. Okay. So before I was very diplomatic and very sort of about open access and sort of, well, you know, we have to find a balance with the journals and stuff. And then I talked to him and went, no, burn it all down. No, we don't even need journals. Why do we need journals? We have libraries. This is ridiculous. It's all madness. And yeah, that was a that was a, a total behavior shift for me or a total, um, you know, thinking shift for me from, you know, it's uh, open access to nope. We need to get rid of all the journals. Well, um, okay. So, and that was just an hour interview. And then, actually, just as a nice experience, was when we, me and Zoe, reported um, from the Open Fair in Porto, 
And it was just really nice talking to all these people. And, and I was sort of doing the BBC roving microphone thing. And, and I felt like a real reporter just for a day. So that was fun. I have to say, I was also radicalized at the um, fair in Porto when we were talking with the keynote speaker. Paula. Exactly. And Paula, somehow it just like got to me like, this is so absurd that we're not sharing knowledge. Like, how can knowledge be behind any kind of wall? I was really kind of heart taken by this because before I intellectually totally got it, afterwards I was like, what? Like, this is ridiculous. This is outrageous. And if I get back into that, it gives me this anger yeah. moment. So yeah, that was that was nice. And I mean, I haven't done so many, so I'm fine with that one. Just, I mean, I really like the conversation we had also, the Doing Good Symposium uh, with Dan Quintana. Mm. That it was a very nice conversation. It just flowed very well. And I was so interested in his research. So that, yeah. Really enjoyed oh, yeah. that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Episodes that gave us oxytocin. <laughs> and we also had Manu talking about horny rats and Kardashians. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. That oh was. My God, there was so, there are so many gems in those episodes. It's really. Uh, yeah, we yeah. should do um, a best of when we do finally finish the podcast. Yeah, we want to talk about the Orion Project a bit, and I'm actually very proud of the Orion Project. And I must say, I think we are really doing good. Like we we're doing really good stuff. Um, so we're doing the training, um, which we'll talk about in a moment a lot. Um, but we also done other um, activities to promote open science. And there, I must say, uh, it's it, the portfolio of activities is just amazing. So our partners in Spain, for example, in Czech Republic, the funding partners, they've experimented with um, open review of uh, funding calls. It's extremely interesting. Um, our partner institute, the coordinator of the project, CRG, um, they will be, well, it's actually a future project, but they on the way to do it. Uh, they will be reviewing their uh, institute strategy with help of public dialogue. Um, we have done a public dialogue on genome editing in four countries. We have conducted, conducted a public survey in six countries about public attitudes to science, whether people want to be involved in life science research. And by the way, uh, people want to be involved very much in life science research. And they also very happy to just donate material like the bodily fluids or even money <laughs> to help research and uh, with the motivation for the common good, mm -hmm. not for financial issues. Well, I mean, okay, the older people more for the money and the younger more for the fame, but still. <laughs> but I mean, it totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. The more knowledge we have, the more it benefits each individual person as well. So yeah. why not a little bit of spit or yeah. blood or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, who doesn't know someone who's got some condition that science doesn't really understand or can't really treat? Yeah. And, you know, you, you, why would you not want to help that, even mm. in a little little way? Uh, we went to a Republica with some researchers here from BBC, and Republica is the uh, largest, like, digital awareness uh, conference, digital activism, actually, a conference um, in, in the world, in Europe? I don't know, actually. It's pretty big, anyway. Definitely in Europe. Um, it's very big, actually, very nice conference. Um, and we went some researchers and asked people there... Uh, which is not a very common place for life science researchers to go to, um, and ask the people, like, how much would you reveal for research? How much data would you give research? And uh, even there, people are very aware of dangers of, uh, you know, privacy breaches on the internet and, and so on. Even there, people were, okay, um, maybe not just, like, that, but if the safeguards are in place, I'm very willing to give my genetic information mm. for research as well. 
Um, so um, this is one of the projects we've done. What else have we done? Oh, we have a citizen science project going on. Not a, two. <laughs> two citizen science projects going yeah, on. So um, one in Spain um, about, um, well, cancer research, basically. It's going to be a game app. I mean, yeah, uh, Genigma or Genigma, depending yeah. on where you're northern or southern European. Um, but yeah, they've developed this. They're developing this app and they've had these different workshops with uh, game developers and with scientists and with the public and so forth. It's, it's very, um, seems very well thought out. Looking at the, basically uh, at the landscape, so basically the the way the genes are arranged in, or the chromatins arranged in the nucleus, it's not random. It's like there are certain factors inside that and that also decides whether some um, genes are being used or not. Ah, so they're looking so at the folding. And off, so looking at the folding. And they're comparing the cancer cells with the normal cells because this is like another level of complexity. Um, so you can like, the different methods, you can look at whether genes are on and off. Mm -hmm. But with that, you can also see whether the, what, what the spatial information gives you about the state of like the activation of the genes. And that's important also for different diseases and also in cancer. So and it's just like doing basic research, but we have, we'll help with this game. And with the help of citizens that are willing yeah. to spend a little bit of time doing it. Exactly. Because there's all the sequencing data is basically there, mm -hmm. but it needs to be analyzed and it takes just a lot of manpower. And before it can be analyzed by any machine learning algorithms, AI, basically it needs the training data set. So this is the providing the training data sets for the... By playing AI. this game on yes. the app. Yeah. Oh, well, that's very cool. I like that. Yeah. If I understood correctly, I'm not saying it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Check or, on the website. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we also have a citizen science project here at the MDC, actually, uh, which is also interesting. So the uh, researchers from here go to schools and work together with school kids and teachers to determine what factors determine how much the kids are sitting. And then also to find out how much they're actually sitting. Because we all know we sit too much. Or yeah. do we? Oh, we don't because we don't have any data on how much sitting is ah, so it's one of those things we assume but yeah so but i mean there is data but it's yeah. not uh it's it's not as uh comprehensive as it could be and definitely for for young people it's not yeah enough so it's making the anecdotal scientific yeah yeah maybe we'll see we'll see <laughs> yeah we'll see. but we'll yeah see. that's uh smooth yeah so. smooth yeah and they involve like 300 young people across Berlin, Brandenburg. So it's it's quite oh, a big, nice. big yeah. project and we'll see what comes out of this. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know because you hear about like childhood obesity and adolescent obesity yeah. and, oh, they're all just playing video games all the time. But then I don't know because I, I, I also see teenagers like racing around on their bikes and stuff. So I'd be, I'd be really interested to know actually what the actual um, numbers were on that. Because basically, as I've understood it, we're out there talking to people who are doing open science, right? Mm -hmm. So that people can see, oh, there's a lot of things going on in open science. Now, I feel like the trainings that we've been doing the last year, they are also pushing open science forward. So I think, I think it would be interesting to give our listeners a little overview of what our intentions are, what we're doing. And also talk about your MOOC, Emma, because that's super interesting. Thank you. So what are the intentions with the training, huh? Good <laughs> question. <laughs> Quite a question. What are you trying to do? <laughs> um, okay, so I think it shifted somewhat. I actually, we talked to our evaluation partners and, and she asked me this same question. And in my, from my perspective, it shifted somewhat from training people 
to do open science in the sense that they come in in the morning and then they leave in the afternoon and in that time they are fully equipped to go out and sort of do open science like like a survival course you know <laughs> and they've got the skills they can make the fire and they can enter the databases and I'm mixing this metaphor but you you get the gist um and I think uh, very quickly from the pilots pilot workshops on it became apparent that that's just not possible if you had three days then yeah maybe um, but if you, within the space of a few hours, I think you can, I aim to raise awareness of what open science actually is, uh, raise awareness of, of what is out there in terms of resources and tools, and hopefully make that sort of shift that, oh, this is, this is possible. This is something I can do as part of my professional life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I kind of go in and aim to do. I don't know if you have a similar or different. Yeah, I think there's definitely like a very much of an introduction like character there. These are all the possibilities and ways that you can go there. But I think that one of the things I find really important is also this, like we have a card game. So people play, get each a card and then they get to have some statement on there and then reflect and think about it. And in talking with people, it seems like there is this moment where people can start realizing for themselves, deciding, oh, what kind of researcher do I want to be? What kind of world do I want to have? And mm -hmm. How can I contribute to that by being more open? And so I think it's a place also that we give the people the moment of reflection that they can figure out if they feel that open science is something that they want to do. And I think that's really, there's an emphasis on that they can reflect and think about if they want to do it. It's free if they decide that they don't. But, mm. and the interesting thing is I, I mean, from the workshops, let me think back. I think there was like maybe one or two. I think there was one participant where I felt like, especially in terms of communicating their science, he was like, I am not going to speak to everybody on the street about my science. Like, they cannot understand. And he did not want to, you know, have any movement from his pedestal of, I'm in this, you know, mm -hmm. tower up here and the people on the street, like, they are not able to understand anything. But I felt every other participant in some way, like, yeah, they were into it. And I mean, of course they're into it. It makes sense, right? Mm. So, but I think that's one, another aspect that we definitely built in there didactically that people are able to find their own position. I really like how you also built in this individual action plans at the end. Mm. So you basically, so you, you give people the space to reflect on their place in science world and whether open science, non-open science, uh, whatever, but basically to reflect on that. But then you also give them kind of this... Um, this um, commitment in a way, like you kind of force them to think about, okay, but I, if I would do three actions now this week, next month, next year, what would that be? And that forces people to like kind of down to earth, back to their daily life and like actually, okay, well, okay, let's let's think about something mm -hmm. I could do now. So it just, doesn't just stays in the air, in the cloud somehow, mm -hmm. but actually yeah. comes down. I'm actually kind of curious whether um, people actually do those action plans. Yeah. yeah. If you've been to any of our workshops and you're a loyal listener, um, first of all, thank you. <laughs> Look out for a tweet, river hashtag, and then just reply to it. That would be great. Um, hashtag, I did my, I did my individual action plan, Orion. <laughs> yeah, good start. <laughs> we'll brainstorm that a little bit more. <laughs> Emma, do you have a do you have a favorite individual action plan that a participant has done? I definitely do. So we have these little stickers and pins and somebody took one of the pins up and she had for her first thing. My first, like today, I'm putting this on my lab coat and I'm wearing it and I'm telling everybody about it. And I thought it was the smallest little gesture, but it just had such a big 
statement. I'm wearing this pin. And after that, like before I was like, why do we have these pins? Like and stickers, who wants that? And afterwards I was like, oh my God, we need more pins. We need more pins. We need more pins. <laughs> we thought it'd be really nice to hear from one of our workshop participants, actually from our first workshop in Braunschweig. Um, so this is Malta and we asked him about um, how he felt the workshop went and how his life has been in terms of open science since. So my name is Malte. I'm a PhD student in Braunschweig in Germany at the Technical University of Braunschweig uh, in Germany. I'm doing research on life cycle assessment. So in German it's Ökobilanzierung. So it's about the environmental impacts of products along their life cycle. So uh, we did our first training um, in 2019 was in Braunschweig with you in January. And you had reached out to us uh, to organize it. And I'm just kind of wondering if you can can talk about the training we did and if anything in your life has changed through that. Yeah, I think it helped me and the others a lot to find out is open science and what we could do as PhD students and master students to, to do more uh, regarding uh, open science and to yeah, get spread the idea, I guess. So I tried, so I'm involved in one research project, uh, which is with the police actually of the states of Lower Saxony or Niedersachsen. Um, the police here, they have uh, introduced electric vehicles and hybrid electric vehicles into their fleet. Uh, with uh, That was part of the research project that I'm involved with. And we have data loggers on board of these uh, vehicles. So we can gather a lot of data on how these vehicles are driven and what's the fuel consumption, what's the electric uh, energy consumption and so on. And so we have a lot, a lot of data there. And I actually, I pitched the idea to the project team. So I'm not the project leader, I'm just a mere tiny little uh, PhD student in that project. But I pitched the idea of uh, having this data published in a repository by the university library, um, or not published, but just stored there and then selective access given to people that uh, yeah fulfill certain requirements. But unfortunately, the project partners weren't. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of sensitive uh, data. Uh, even, even within the group, we had discussions, so there wasn't like all were against it, but there was some discussion, and some said it's a good idea, some said it's not a good idea. But eventually, we had to yeah give in and say, okay, it's it's not up to me to decide what happens to the data. And the project owners were um, against it. Um, I mean, they were generally not against the idea of open science or open access to to research data, but in that sense, they said it's just too sensitive to. Um, have it published or to have anyone access to that data. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. I mean, you've got to balance ethics and governance against um, against openness. So I think things that need to happen, in my point of view, is um, more formalization. So like a clear definition, what is open science? What does open science entail? What is all part of open science? Um, not just open access, but what else does it mean? Um, clearly state, like some kind of formalization needs to be going on. I mean, in Germany, you know, we're big with uh, standards and like ISO standards and so on. And maybe we don't need that at that stage, but some kind of respected institution or uh, I don't know, a regulatory organ or something like defining maybe this is open science as a part of it, and also laying out the advantages and why it's beneficial to the science system in general, but also clearly and honestly addressing the risks and the downsides or potential downsides. Like with open access, the big issue I think is credibility of these open access journals and predatory journals, uh, the whole uh, topics that intermingle there with, with people having um, or people hesitant of publishing in open access journals. 
um, and addressing these risks and addressing these fears that some people may have. Another thing that, yeah, you, you mentioned institutions. Uh, I think it would be very helpful if, for example, my university were to say we're only publishing open access now and all our research data needs to be stored in that, in that way that anyone can access and so on. So if universities and other institutions were um, making these guidelines, then it would be a no-brainer. Then it would be just a standard procedure for you as a researcher, as a PhD student. This is how things are done. And uh, most people then probably don't tend to question for the better, for better or for worse um, how things are done. Um, so make it just a default. Um, I think that would be very helpful. But also um, the things you're doing. So more education and more um, informing people and um, giving workshops and educating people in open science and what it is and what the benefits could be. I think that still needs to be going on as well. I have one more question. If uh, someone would ask you, okay, not us, just imagine someone completely neutral saying, so you did that uh, training on open science. Like what, what was the one thing that was the most beneficial for you? It's a hard I question. I think the, the greatest, no, it's a good, it's just a big question because there's many thoughts in my head and I'm trying to prioritize like what was the most important aspect because it's, it was getting new ideas about things. It's learning about background and why and what benefits it could have. But I think the most, interesting or revealing thing for me was how much is going on right now. I mean, especially with Plan S and the whole open publishing um, movement. Um, I think now is really, really a time of transformation for science. I think it's, for a long time it's going in a certain, it's been, it has been going in a certain direction. And now I think is a really transformative time where more and more people are on board of or recognizing that some things have gone maybe wrong in the past or not quite in benefited the idea of science of open information sharing um, and now i think there's a lot of openness a lot of good ideas that are coming forth and then not just ideas but actually implementation of these ideas that are hopefully changing the system for the better and that is that revelation that what are the different opportunities for open science data sharing open publishing uh, citizen science and so on that there's a lot of going on and a lot of resources that I got to know. I think that was really um, encouraging, very motivating, uh, inspiring. Uh, and then that yeah, really inspired me to look more into that and trying to connect that to my own research and seeing what could I do that, that benefits this idea of open science. We've done an online course, so Emma has developed that one. That was a MOOC, a massive open online course, um, which we developed this year, and it ran in the autumn. And it was over six weeks, and it was six modules, so each module was released um, for a week. And then it takes about an um, hour and a half, two hours max, to sort of complete each module. And you have total flexibility within that week. So you can do it first thing on Monday at 7 a.m., or you can do it last thing on Sunday. Um, or any time in between, um, and it's live. So it means that we're on hand, we can answer your questions, we can talk to you on the forum, you can talk with other participants on the forum. So it's not just sort of this cold thing where you're kind of all by yourself. It, 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 it does have that sense of community. Um, and it went really well, and we've got some really good feedback. Um, but um, we actually wanted to talk to someone, because it's so you put this thing online, right? And... Um, you, you kind of don't really know. I mean, until the feedback starts coming in, you've got no idea how it's going. 
Um, and certainly even then you kind of think, well, it'd be nice to talk to one of these people as a real human life person. Uh, so that's what we did. So we talked to Deirdre, who took the MOOC. So my name is Deirdre Winrow. I'm a uh, biological researcher at the University College of Dublin in Dublin, in Ireland. And um, uh, I'm currently studying um, prostate cancer. So we're developing a diagnostic test um, to be used um, to determine the need for biopsies. I decided to take the course because, um, well, to be honest, they, 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 it was just sent around with our department. And um, through my current position, I've been um, sort of drafted into doing some of our, uh, for part of our project funding, we're required to engage with patients and the public and stuff. Still quite a young researcher. And I don't, you know, I've spent most of my time this far kind of uh, just focusing on the science. And I don't have a lot of experience with um uh, communicating science to others so I just thought the course might help me be able to do that a bit better. Okay that makes sense um, and, and did you uh, find it useful in, in doing those things? Um, yeah so I did find it very useful um, because we were writing a, uh, a an application for a patient engagement initiative to bring our research out into the public um, and make it more accessible to patients and to people in general and um, so I found the course really instructive for um, uh, navigating my way through that. Um, Deirdre, um, so, you, so you found the public engagement part um, useful. I just wonder, mm -hmm. what did you think of all the other, the more like open science, hardcore stuff that were in the MOOC? Um, yeah, that, that was really interesting. It's not something that I'd ever really known anything about. I'd heard things kind of through the grapevine before, because I've been sort of being, a re I've been a researcher for about 10 years now, but um, uh, it was, you know, you're so focused on trying to find papers um, and you get so caught up in the whole um, traditional um, traditional sort of system of publishing and, and judging things by where they're published that, you know, I kind of never really, I didn't really know much about it. So it was very interesting to kind of learn that there's alternatives to you know, getting information out there and finding more information as well. So like, it was nice to, it was interesting because uh, I was always kind of overwhelmed by the idea that there's all these databases everywhere. And um, so it was nice to get kind of taken through that in small bite-sized chunks and kind of get a better idea of what's out there. Like I've already recommended that my, uh, if it comes up again, that my coworkers take it. So, um, so yeah, I've already recommended it to people. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, that's, uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, we are running it again uh, February 10th. So uh, tell everyone. Oh, perfect. Um, do you feel that you'll use open science going forward uh, in your research? Um, or do you think there's any sort of challenges that would kind of hold you back from doing that? At the moment, it's just sort of, I'm working on a project that's supposed to be commercialized. So like, um, there's sort of patent issues about, um, kind of I'm very much sort of beholden to my boss and then also other um, uh, sort of entities that may or may not want information getting out in the public but like if it was up to me I would put a lot more up. Um, I, d I don't know did you have like a, a favorite moment did you have a, a, a kind of any uh, we call them aha moments you know where you sort of went oh that's what this is kind of this is the key to this or yeah. now I understand something. Yeah, I mean, especially in the uh, the patient engagement stuff. Um, oh, also data management as well. Um, we were trying to put up a data management plan for our current project, and we're completely. It's it's something that seems so simple, 
Um, and then when you try to do it, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> and that lesson came up right at the time when we were trying to do it as well. So it, just, it seemed like every time we, there was a lesson in the course, it was something that I was trying to do in work. Um, and uh, like it seems so easy to put a list together of how you're going to store stuff. And then when you actually try and do it, it it's very it's, it's just not where my skill set lies. So it was that was that was a real because um, uh, then it makes it easier to share your once you know where everything is and it's all um, in, you know, easily accessible file formats and you can, I mean, just even with our collaborators, it's made it easier um, uh, to be able to share data and share, um, you know, even just keep track of samples that we get sent and everything. Um, yeah. so it, it, that was definitely very helpful. Um, as well, actually, I'm, I ju I've just come from a, a meeting um, about uh, Fame Lab. It's like a science communication um, competition. And the, the guy who was doing the course, I was like, where do I recognize him from? He looks really familiar. And then I remembered halfway through that um, you had put up, uh, he did a TED Talk in Dublin about frogs. And it yes. was him. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, that's why I recognize. I literally, I just, I was just came from, and I was like, oh my, where do I know him from? And then I, and then he started talking about his thing, and I was like, oh, I just watched this video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. So it's a weird small world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that talk. It's, it's so Um, so yeah, the MOOC will be running again February 10th, uh, again for six weeks, again live. Uh, you can enroll now and um, there's, there'll be details in the show notes, there'll be details on Twitter, there'll be details on the website. You can't miss it, we're going to be promoting it and um, please join us and uh, learn all there is to know about open science. <laughs> so what I thought was interesting about both of the interviews were participants was one, that they enjoyed it, that was great, yeah. very, very um, gratifying, yeah. uh, but what was interesting was that they were both said, almost word for word, I really wanted to make things more open. I wanted to make data more open. Um, but I'm not in a senior enough position to make those decisions. Yeah. And I was overruled. And I think that is the real fundamental problem with mm. trying to make these changes is that the people who are enthusiastic and the people who come to our training and do our training are usually early career researchers. But the people with the decision-making power are senior researchers. Yeah, I mean, but it's natural, right? It's uh, the system is what I who said that like this thing of um, basically um, people who are in the system, I mean, they're comfortable, right? They made it, the yeah. senior senior PIs. So why why change something that's obviously working? It's not it's not even meant in any bad or mean way or anything. It's really just it's just really working for them. So yeah. So what's the problem, right? Um, yeah, and um, Beyond Brem said the same thing. Yeah. He even put it in evolutionary theory. I was true. Like that, if you succeed at something, you'll what does what's the natural thing? You teach your young to survive and succeed in the same exact way. Yeah. The system that has worked for the senior yeah. PIs now is just a different one for the junior people now. Yes, absolutely. I mean, since '96 we have internet. That's like I mean we had before, but like really widely available yeah. since '96. <laughs> Uh, that's already like a huge change. That's uh, really, I mean, it's a different, you know, being this uh, digital native. Yeah, it's a different it's world. Different yeah. world. Also, for example, life sciences, biology just went quantitative and high throughput and assistance biology. And I mean, 
it's just a different different way of working, different way of thinking about problems and finding different mm -hmm. solutions. And this like solitary work in the lab, it just doesn't happen anymore. You have to have big collaborative teams and how do you do it fairly and so on and so on. Yeah. I just think that basically the just the whole profession changed. And I think we also need to remember that there's a policy push from the EU. Yeah. So that also means that institutions are having to somehow put that into their policy. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, for my master thesis, I was speaking with someone who does the organization of PhD trainings, and he was trying, one of his jobs is also implementing policy. And he was speaking about that it's much easier to actually implement the policy of open science through PhD students mm -hmm. than through trying to talk to the senior researchers. Mm -hmm. And that at one point when they get it and they want it, they will demand it. Mm -hmm. And so that's his way of policy push so yeah i mean i was gonna actually say you could see it as oh these researchers are saying oh i want to be more open than they're being blocked in that but on the other hand you can see it as they both went and advocated to their colleagues and to their their mm -hmm. um pis or what have you for open science mm -hmm. and so you know through our training we turned people who were mildly interested into actual open science advocates within their institution. I think that's that's probably a really great success story for us and for them. Um, so that's great. So that was it for today. It's enough of memories. <laughs> yes. Um, one more thing. We we didn't mention one project that we've done, uh, the art science project we've uh, been doing at the MDC. Hugely successful, very inspiring. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Really good. Uh, we talked a little bit about it in our Aubrey the Grey episode, but... We did, but we yeah. didn't go into depth. We'll, we'll tell you all about it. There's no time now. So I think we should have a part two in a couple of weeks. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back in two weeks with the art science episode. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And we hope you join us then. Uh, as you may have gathered from this episode... The podcast is made possible by the Orion Open Science Project. Uh, you can find more information on the website. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at OOSP underscore OrionPod. Um, so please like us and follow us and so forth, all that jazz. Sound editing was done by Paula Oliveira. The music was composed and produced by Fabio de Miguel. And you can also find us by email at orion at mdc dash berlin dot t bye bye bye